Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined this week by Dave. Becky is a late scratch due to illness, so make sure you send her your uh, your well wishes. Just feeling a little bit uh, under the weather, so... We have a- Libor Hayek here to fill in. <laughs> it's a... Yeah. Hey, Libor Hayek has actually filled in admirably as this team's seventh defenseman. Maybe we'll actually talk about him in a good way today. Yeah, I think we will, because I, I got to admit I'm a little bit surprised by how not crappy he's been yeah also i was gonna say we're we might be struggling for positives on this podcast so and 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 i do want to actually put hands up uh on on all of our behalves uh you me and becky we took a little bit of an unplanned break last week and just due to life getting in the way uh and, and we all you know appreciate you all waiting an extra week for a show but you know when we last spoke to you all the Rangers were a buzzsaw. They were dominant. They were a machine. They were playing great. We could not uh, have said any more positive things about this hockey team. And then in the space of two weeks, things have gotten questionable pretty quickly. Now, Dave, I think I wanted to start the show this week by asking you, because I think this will kind of set the stage, set the tone for what we're going to discuss in detail. Given the results over the last you know, two, three games and, and kind of the way the team is playing, how worried are you? And let's go scale of one to 10, one being you're not worried at all. You were as confident as you were on our preview show when you picked this team to run the table essentially and, and run away with the, the Metro and, and go into the uh, playoffs as the number one overall seed, uh, potentially either in the East or maybe even win the President's Trophy. You, you were very high on them, obviously. So if you're not worried at all, you're still at that level. It's a one. If you are like, Everything needs to be blown up now. You're at a 10. So where are you on that 1 to 10 scale? Two and a half. Okay. There is nothing here that makes me scream, oh, crap, what happened? Because there's only one real thing that I am noticing that I have an issue with, and we'll get to that. But almost all of this is bad puck luck, and honestly... Not good goaltending from Igor Shesterkin. Mm-hmm. That's it. Igor Shesterkin isn't going to be this bad for the re- bad's a very loosely defined term here. He's still putting up a nine ten save percentage, but it should be a nine twenty at a minimum. So he's not going to be that bad for that long. And the Rangers aren't going to shoot what seven percent at even strength, and I think it's like eight percent on the power play or something absurd. I'll pull up the numbers, but they're not going to do that all season either. So I am not overly worried on the surface. There are underlying concerns that I have, but I'm not panicking. I'm not losing sleep over this. It's a little bit odd because normally I would be frustrated with the losses to Detroit and the Islanders, specifically the last two games. But yeah, it's troubling, but I'm not freaking out i'm not saying burn everything down i'm not saying trade Kreider, trade truba trade uh you know launch halak into the sun no i don't know it, it they'll be fine they'll be i fine. find it really interesting that we've been doing this podcast you know since uh just before the pandemic really started january 2020 you've been doing the blog since 2008 
you know, we're, we're, we're uh, a group of people uh, that I think does a pretty good job, uh, if I can, you know, sort of compliment ourselves as sort of uh, walking the line between like, you know, we're not super uh, stat heavy or, or, or analytics heavy, but we, we obviously use that in our analysis. We also have, you know, a fair bit of eye test and stuff that goes on. But, you know, I like to talk about the Corsi and expected goals just as a, as a measure of, you know, how is the team actually playing? We've seen Ranger teams, you know, since really since the uh, inception of the blog and certainly since I joined in about 2016 or so. Uh, and then with the podcast a few years later, we've basically seen Ranger teams that have outperformed their expected goals and Corsi numbers. They've never been a team that dominated puck possession, that dominated the shot clock. And it never really hurt them. You know, even through the rebuilding years, they still scored a fair amount of goals. They were still a competitive team. The goaltending obviously helps. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm certainly not suggesting otherwise. But I just find it very interesting that now the Rangers have this team that pretty routinely goes out there and outshoots and outchances their opponents, really with no issue at all. I mean, the Boston game is the one game where I don't think that held. I think Boston did win the expected goals battle and, and carried play for. I want to say about 60% of the game. I think the Rangers had a, uh, were much better than them in the second period of that game, if I remember correctly. And Boston's and, a good team. I mean, Boston's a great team. There, I, I, when I, I said I said that last week, Dave, they were the best team I thought the Rangers had played all year. Easily, and that's you know that Boston game. You chalk it up to getting beat by a red hot team, while the Rangers were dealing with their own injuries, and they lost Ryan Lindgren because David Pasternak's a little bitch. That was a really dirty play. That and was a I dirty play. Really like David Posternock too. I think he's entertaining. He's he's one of those guys that's good for the sport, has a little bit of personality. But that yeah. was a filthy, cheap, cowardly, awful play that injured a guy. Probably gave him a concussion. I know Lindgren's going to be back soon, maybe as soon as tonight's game. If you're listening to us on Thursday morning against Detroit, but man, oh man, just you know who it reminded me of too, David. Reminded me of Evgeny Malkin, right? A guy that just has yeah. a tremendous amount of talent. That just does not need to engage in that sort of garbage when the guy is not looking for it. When when the hit he was reacting to to was purely clean, uh, and and the puck was there, and he was a little bit off balance. But Lingren finished his check and took the puck, and you know he, he that, it's embarrassing. And yeah, the penalty got called, but it cost Lingren three games, and it cost the Rangers uh, one of their best defensive defensemen. And you know, I think the the jungling we've seen on the defense pairs and Jacob Truba's uneven performance, which I think we can maybe chalk up to injury, needing to play Libor Hayek again. I know he's been okay, but that's not ideal. That's not the plan. Um, you know, Zach Jones is also having trouble adjusting, so it just throws the whole defense into flux. And yeah, no, to your point, Dave. You know that that Bruins game was a tough assignment. Already down Filipino, and then mid game losing or mid first period losing uh, Lindgren. And they were also down. Were they down Kravtsov at that point? I honestly don't remember which games he's played, which three minute shifts he's played (laughs) at this point. Kravtsov did not play in that game, correct? Okay. So they're out two top nine forwards. They're out Ryan Lindgren. They're playing with five defensemen. Boston's a great team. Um, But people are taking that loss and comparing it to the losses in, in, in Detroit, or sorry, at home against Detroit and the Islanders. Those the last two games were bad. Those were the worst two games of the season by a country mile. And you know, Boston's a great team. The Rangers didn't look good. The Rangers should have beaten Detroit three one. They should have beaten the Islanders. Uh, sorry, two uh, nothing Detroit and three one Islanders. Mm-hmm. They gave they had two goal leads and they 
they played down to their opponent the rest of the game. They let them come back. And even worse, in the Islander game, they couldn't even get to overtime. The Islanders can't score. Like, they're not an offensive team. They're no, offensive the to the senses, but that's right about now. it. Yeah. yeah. No, they... I think what was interesting about the Islander game, and I'll, we'll, we'll come back to that, I think, in more detail, because I do want to, you know, I, I promised, um, I think, on Twitter today that, that I, I have some strong thoughts about particularly the Detroit game. It's not going to be a full-blown rant because, you know, again, the Rangers actually played a really good first period, played a decent third period. Obviously, the problems were in the second period, of course. So also, what do I need to do killed. to get you into the rant mode? What do uh, I need to do? I, It'll come at some point. It'll come at some point. But on the Islander game, and I, I actually listened to the end of it because uh, I was driving out to a little late night uh, open hockey, um, and I heard the post game show. So I heard Vince Vincent Trocheck. I heard uh, Gerard Glantz comments, but Trocheck in particular said, "Hey, look, it's just a confidence issue right now for us. It's really nothing more than that." And he said, "I believe in this group essentially more than I believed in any group I've ever played on." And Trocheck's been on some very good teams, so. That coming from him as a new guy, I think that means something. But I think the Islander game, Dave, and I, I don't know if you agree with me, it looked to me like the Rangers were that that crisis of confidence set in in the fact that they they went into the third period trying to protect the lead as opposed to just play their game and potentially add to it. Um, it doesn't help giving up a goal 12 seconds into the third period or whatever the hell the, the, the pellet goal like, Yeah, it was like happened. 11 or 10 or 12 yeah. seconds or something like that. It was the first sequence of the period. So that didn't help, but they, you know, they... They just f- seemed tentative to me. And I, again, I listened to the very end on the radio, but I saw a good two-thirds of that last period. So, you know, it just seemed to me like they were a little bit too cautious and they let the Islanders back in the game. Yeah, that's the problem is, and I think I wrote the, well, if you're listening this Thursday, I think I wrote this Monday or Tuesday, the Rangers don't have that killer instinct right now. They are not getting the big save or the key save from Shesterkin to keep them in the game. And that's not a recent mm-hmm. thing. That happened a lot in October as well. They're not getting that. And I feel like that, not to put the blame on Shesterkin, but there's no other phrasing that I can find right here. So if you're listening to this, don't crucify me. But by not getting the big save here and there, they're, the wind is getting let out of their sails a little bit. And they're losing that ability or the mindset of oh we just got to go for the throat Mm -hmm. and yeah goaltending really shouldn't have anything to do with it but it's a combination thing of you know they're not getting the save they don't have the confidence they're not going for the jugular and all of that is leading to the two losses we saw the other the last two games but if you remember they did the same thing against minnesota before they took like a 35 goal lead there and against Anaheim to start the season. That Anaheim game, they were up by three goals twice, and they almost immediately let Anaheim score. Yeah. Dallas, too. Yep. So they've been doing this all season. You know what I think, I'm think? i thinking about, too, Dave, is you're kind of running over those you know scenarios, and you're talking about needing key saves at key times is – you know, to a man last year, the Rangers were always asked about, you know, look, Igor Shesterkin had an otherworldly season. He, you know, he could have won the MVP. He obviously won the Vezina Trophy. They all basically said, when you have a goalie like that, it gives you an extra bit of confidence, not only defensively, 
which the Rangers were okay defensively. You know, other than the first month of the year, they were pretty much a, an average or so team in terms of the amounts of amount of scoring chances they gave up. So they weren't, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a total dumpster fire in front of him, but it gave them more confidence offensively. And I'm thinking back to someone that we actually would probably love to get on the pot at some point, and someone you and I both reference a lot, Dave, Jack Hahn. He's a former Toronto Marlies uh, assistant coach. He worked, you know, in the Maple Leafs organization. Now he's just kind of like a, a coaching consultant. He's a private coach, but he tweets a lot uh, and has like a, a newsletter and, and he does these ho- hockey tactics uh, books. He does some pretty cool stuff. Um, and if you're interested in kind of the coaching angle of things, definitely check out uh, Jack Hahn. It's Jay Hahn, H-K-Y, I think it's his Twitter account. Anyway, he did a breakdown of during the Tampa series where the Rangers were committing basically four or even all five guys deep into the offensive zone to try and create offense, basically with the strategy of we can leave Igor Shesterkin on an island. We trust him that much, right? So that enabled them to go and create a lot of offense against some pretty good defensive teams. You know, once once they got going against Carolina, they were able to create a lot of off, a lot of offense and have those long extended shifts. Same thing against Tampa Bay, and I think a lot of that was down to just even if we 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 lose the puck, Igor's behind us. We got this. And I don't think, to your point, Dave, that same confidence is there so far this year because while Igor has been above average, he's been good. He has not been great, and I think it's fair to say that. Absolutely. And I am pulling up the 5v5 save percentages across the league on natural statric. The Rangers are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 from the bottom. Yep. So that's 92.86%. That's 27th in the league. And yep. goalie save percentage at 5v5. That and there's is... some Halak in there, and Halak had a couple of bad games, but that's mostly Igor. Oh, yeah. Wait a second. Hold on. Oh, my, I'm an idiot. We're going re- to try this again because I didn't scroll up, and I was nowhere near the top. So we're going to try this one more time. 5v5 save percentage. Okay, this can't be right because it's saying Anaheim has a 66 percent save percentage at even strength at 5v5 that doesn't seem right that can't be right and one arizona has a 100 percent save percentage of 5v5 that that can't be right the the numbers have to be off there's something up here no we can't use this sorry i'm gonna completely disregard we have to disregard everything i just said well, that's okay. Don't worry about it. That's just the you know the foibles of uh, of internet you know stat sleuthing. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, so wait a second. There's no way Arizona's got a 100 save percentage. <laughs> no, and if, if if Anaheim's was 66, they'd be giving up you know seven or eight goals a game. Um, no, the the overall point being here that we know. I think even even without the numbers, right, Dave, you can tell that. Igor just is not making that key save at the key time. And that every coach says that, right? That was one of uh, John Tortorella always said that in his post-game press conference. You know, he, he would say, your goalie just needs to make key saves at key times, you know, because every game's different, right? Sometimes it's a one nothing game and there's not a lot of, you know, offense and he makes the right save at the right time and enables you to win that game. Sometimes it's a 5-4 game. Your goalie doesn't play very well, but he still comes up with a huge stop at the right moment, preserves a lead, you win the game. So there's a lot of that at play here with goaltending. And I think with Igor, again, over the course of a, of a, of a, of, of the whole season, like you said, his save percentage is right around 9-10. 
that's perfectly fine for human professional NHL goalies. The expectations of Igor Shosturkin are higher. Uh, and I think, you know, I think the, ultimately he will be better. And I think he's probably trying to build his game. It's why, by the way, you saw them start him back-to-back uh, last week or, or whatever. You know, I, I know they started him in, in two games in a row back-to-back, and they they won the games. So, um and I think there was a the method to the madness there was let's get him going, right? Let's get some confidence. I think they had come off a win and then they were going into that game against the Flyers, which they ended up winning pretty handily. Um, yeah, and goalies need so, rhythm. Yeah. Like, yes. th- that's a big thing. Goalies definitely need a rhythm. And unfortunately, uh, Shesterkin hasn't found it yet. And yeah. other and I, goalies and I, in the division have. And that's another aspect of why people are panicking a little bit. Agreed. Yeah. And look, we're always going to hear chirping from the other team in, in the New York area, or I should say in the, in the state of New York, not the Buffalo Sabres, of course. We're always going to hear chirping about the goalie. They're very happy with Ilya Sorokin. They're very happy with Varlamov, of course. Um, and, and great. They're both great goaltenders. Obviously, Sorokin may be one of those guys who enters the conversation, but anybody who's trying to make grand claims about Sorokin being better than Shesterkin just needs to stop because there is no evidence of that right now. Sorokin's had some good games, but he's, you know, he he has not put together a season or a large body of work the way Igor Shesterkin did last year. So, you know, look, we're a Ranger podcast. We know where our allegiances lie, but we're also, we have the ability to be objective. And I think the objective take there is don't hit me with any Ilya Sorokin uh, is better than Igor Shesterkin garbage. Ilya Sorokin has better numbers than Shesterkin right now. That's an objective fact, and nobody can argue Fine. that. No, but, fine. And also, like that, this isn't Sorokin slander either. He He's a good goalie. The, the Sorokin versus Shesterkin for the next, I don't know, 10 years is going to be fun. But that's assuming Shesterkin gets back to what we expect him to be. He's not going to be a 940 goalie, but he's going to be a 920, 925, which is exactly what Sorokin's going to be. And it's going to be fun. And we can all laugh at Mackenzie Blackwood putting up his 890 or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> yeah, well, if the Devils get any goaltending, they look like they're you know going to be a really tough out this year. But I we'll save nailed that, for that prediction. I'm just patting myself on the back here. I nailed that. I said the I, Devils I are the going to surprise a lot of people, and look at what they're doing. I've got them in the playoffs. I said it early in the year. I think they're going to make the playoffs. It's, it's on my Twitter feed. It's in the thread of my pinned tweet, so go check it out. Um, so so let's go back to the Detroit game because here's what bothered me about that game. And I was at the game, uh, had a great time. Actually, uh, Becky and I took took our two-year-old daughter uh, we're very fortunate. Had some friends. We were able to get into a suite. Great stuff. We're, we're very, very lucky in that regard, by the way. Um, so it was a really fun experience in that, you know, from that standpoint. Um, and it was a it was a moderately entertaining hockey game too to be at live. Good crowd. You know, early Sunday start. It was it had a good energy. But the second period really bothered me. And and on one hand. I get it. The effort, especially on the second goal, which was basically a three-on-two that turned into, I think, a goal where uh, two rebound shots were taken and the third is the one that went in. I understand a coach flipping his flipping his lid on that and, and being like, all right, well, now we need to throw everything in, in, in you know, light it on flames and, and then rebuild it because clearly it's not working and, and certain players 
Chris Kreider need to be sent a message. Um, the whole first line went for an off a, a poorly timed line change, by the way, which is why that whole shit show happened. But I tell you what, my gut instinct, my gut reaction in the moment to what those line changes were for the third period really did not sit well with me because I think that was a winnable game. And I'm certainly not suggesting that Gerard Gallant punted the game and was like, all right, well, in order to send a message, we're going to intentionally like hamstring ourselves and probably lose. Um, It just, to me, didn't give the Rangers any balance at all throughout their lines. You basically ended up with, and, and I know the lines have changed twice now since then, so we don't need to belabor the point, but just, again, to sort of speak to how I was feeling in the moment. You had Panarin, Zibanejad, and Kaka all on one line, which, great, that should be a dynamic offensive line, and I thought they were okay. Um, the rest of the lines, including with Chris Kreider, who, who you know deserved to be demoted, but with him ending up on the fourth line, you just had not a prayer in hell of scoring a goal with any of those other three lines on the ice. It, it just... Uh, and, and, and it bothered me because... I'm sitting there thinking this is a game that's there for the taking. Like, okay, you had a bad second period. It happens. It's an 82-game season. How about you go in there and you and you call out Chris Kreider? You know, I'm talking about if you're Gerard Glant. Call out Chris Kreider by name. Rip the team a new one. And, and but leave the lines together because in the first period, they pretty much dominated play, uh, you know, to the tune of a probably, I don't have it in front of me, probably a 60 to 70% expected goal share, right? And, I know that Detroit had more shots, but they had also had they also had a couple power plays. Um, I would have just stuck with what's working, and and even with the most recent line changes, which we will see in action tonight on the road in Detroit. I don't love Jimmy Vesey on the top line, even though he's very good metrics, and he's been a really nice addition for for literally the absolute minimum you can pay a player on your roster. That's an incredibly good value signing by Chris Drury, and the Rangers should be applauded for that. But he should be in your bottom six, you know. Uh, to me, I would just go back to plan A. Plan A was working. And like you said, Dave, they've been victim of victims of shooting percentage, bad luck, and frankly, like average to just slightly above average goaltending, which often isn't going to get it done in competitive games. So I'm a fan of plan A, the, the usual top six with Panarin, Trocek, and, uh, and Lafreniere together, and Kreider, Zibanejad, and Kako together. That was all working. I, I would go back to it. I'm sure he will go back to it eventually, but... You know, right now, uh, they're certainly trying different things to try and get out of this rut. Yeah, it really does illustrate two things for me. One, the Rangers have a need at a middle six winger. And two, the answer is not Sammy Blay. I think they were going into the season hoping that Blay would be able to perform well enough to be on the third line. That was a complete misfire. And now the Rangers have a scoring hole, and it doesn't help that Kravtsov has been healthy for eight minutes all season. And Heedle right. played, what, seven games before going out with his issue? And, yep. you know, you lose two middle six forwards. Now you're looking at Goudreau and Vizi or Gautier or, well, Blay hasn't played in a little bit or played in the, top, in the middle six in a little bit. And... You're looking at a team that doesn't have offense. And then... I kind of forgot where I was going with this. Well, no, well, I think it... I think I think you're, maybe it's this, Dave, is that, okay, if plan A isn't working, which it's Gerard Glantz, the coach, it's his prerogative to say, I don't believe plan A is working. 
I don't think there's a very good plan B because they don't have a forward that, you know, like last year there was plan B's or plan C's galore, right? Because what they settled on was Frank Vetrano on the top line, but he very easily could have been a third liner and been effective as a third liner. It just happened to work out. You could always move one of the kids around. You know, uh, they had a little bit more. And, Andrew Kopp is a Swiss Army knife of a, of a forward who yeah. can score and also play it in a checking role. So they just don't have that versatility in the forward group right now, I think is the point you're getting at. Yeah, I was going there, and I was going with, as one of the things that we said before the season started, it was very clear that the Rangers were going to try to figure things out, and they may not have a perfect roster for the entire season. And they're going to use the first month to figure out what they have. And then they're going to use the rest of the time before the trading deadline to kind of let things play out and see what they actually need. And to see quite honestly, if they need to go for a Patrick Kane type of player. And there are a lot of people saying that they need to. And I don't think that's the move. The They don't even need a right winger. They just need a middle six reliable guy that can an, an Andrew Kopp kind of a player is all they really need and mm-hmm. they're not that far off and if the Rangers were shooting their usual 18% on the power play whatever the hell that number was last year and their 9% at even strength and they were getting Igor Shesterkin to make the save what you think they have instead of being 6-5-3 and three, they're 6-3-3 and three? Or six or there was like eight three and yeah eight three and three sorry eight three and three or nine three and two something like that if I probably probably are we having these conversations if they're converting the way we expect them to it's a it I am chalking it up to a a cold streak that hopefully is not a season long stat correction right and that and that is the fear you know I think uh, Rob Luger's tweeted about this a little bit if you if you follow him and. We're going to have him uh, on the on the show hopefully soon within the next couple of weeks just to kind of talk now that we've got some games under our belt and take a look at things through that that stats lens. But it is possible teams sometimes just never get out of the shooting slump, and and that is the randomness of hockey. That is, you know, the Rangers have have shot above league average in terms of shooting percentage almost every year since I've been paying attention to that stat. And now I think a lot of that is that they have always prioritized. East West East West plays in the offensive zone as much as everybody hates them. If you ever listen to Steve Valaket, he will tell you that's the best way to try to score a goal in the NHL is to get the goalie moving post to post. Um, you know they prioritize those East West plays. They they have very good, highly talented players and Kreider, Zabanajad, Panarin. You know now even if the kids continue their development, you know they've got Adam Fox. We haven't even mentioned they have guys who can put the puck in the net, which I think is why. There's no reason to panic. There's there's reason to believe that that those players will eventually start finding the back of the net, and it will happen in bunches. It will happen. You know, they will probably have some games where they run up the score on some opponents who just can't figure out how to stop them. But, um, you know, they they certainly and you know you talked about you touched on this a little bit, Dave, but maybe we could go back to it. There is a little bit of an element of them playing down to the competition or walking into games or walking into periods expecting to win based on talent alone. And and even though they are very talented, I don't think they can approach any of these games that way. No, they can't. Especially when the team, when you're in this kind of a shooting slump, you can't play down to your opponents. It's just a little asinine that we're having this conversation after 
all the hype and all the hope we had for this season that they go one and one against Arizona or they can't close out the Red Wings or they only score one goal against Philly, although they had four posts that game. Right. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to be concerned about and there's a lot to be frustrated about for sure. But the blow it up, the Rangers are terrible, they're not making the playoffs, all that is overblown at this stage to me. I agree. Let's talk a little bit about the defense and specifically, so so, so I first want to start with Jacob Truba. Now, it's pretty, it's become clear over the last, let's say 48 hours, 72 hours that he is hurt. I believe Larry Brooks mentioned uh, called out the fact that he really hasn't practiced already in a, in a couple of weeks now. He's basically been taking maintenance days every time the Rangers have a full team practice. He's playing with something that's compromising him. And, and again, Joe Micheletti mentioned it on last night's broadcast. And then I believe uh, Vince Mercagliano tweeted uh, on Wednesday evening that Gerard Gallant was asked about it. And he did say, well, you know, Jacob's, he he's he's fine. He can play every game, and he he does what he he needs to do to get ready for a game. He's a warrior, you know. He gave he gave that sort of uh, he gave that sort of uh, answer on on the question. But I mean, Dave, first let's start with Truba. What would you do there? You know, is there merit? And I, now, of course, we don't know the injury, but is there potentially merit to sitting him if possible now that Lingren's coming back, just so he can get healthy? Absolutely. It, again, this goes back to the Hayek thing. When we kicked off the pod, he hasn't been bad. I mean, no. and statistically speaking, he's far better than Trouba right now. And that's if Trouba is actually hurt, the Rangers probably won't miss a beat statistically without him. But there's a reason Trouba was named captain. And there's obviously something he gives this team in the locker room. But... He's not playing 100% of what he's capable of, and it sounds like he's not 100%. So Think about that. I would rest imagine they, Imagine they sit him. Imagine they, they were to sit him for a couple of weeks. The Rangers play five or six games, and they go like five and one. Can you imagine the takes about, well, it looks like they don't need Truba. They should get rid of him. Look, you know, they, they're better without him. Um, I could just, that would be a very funny and very predictable scenario if they were to sort of, you know, have, have, you know, Truba go on IR, take, you know, again, take some, take some games off just to heal. Because if this is one of those injuries that lasts for a whole season, you know, guys go in, guys have relatively healthy seasons and then go into a long playoff and get banged up very quickly. And, you know, those small things become very major things in, in the playoffs. If Truba's got kind of a, something that's more than a small thing right now, I shudder to think how, how it might hamper him in, in April and May. That's why now is the time to do it. And maybe the Rangers are looking at that well, four-day break in December and hoping Truba can tread water until then. That's mm-hmm. – this uh, you got to rest them. It's more important to have them prepared for April and May and beyond than it is to have him in the lineup in what is a very soft spot in the schedule. The Rangers have eight. Winnable. They should win all eight games. They won't. That's unrealistic. But they should go six and two, or six one and one, or something to that effect in the next eight games with or without Truba. They don't have any good competition they're facing. 
So yeah. this is the time to do it if if Lindgren is healthy. Right. And and look, this is the one thing. I'm not one to freak out about the cap, especially when we've seen teams, the Tampa Bay Lightning. I know Vegas was kind of a, a punchline, but they're they're off to a very good start. You know, teams operate on or just at that cap line all the time and they and they come up with creative ways to create to create cap space if they need it. I have no problem with the way the Rangers have gone into the season. The idea is to field a contending team. They've spent all the available resources to build that contending team. We can debate certain contracts and certain, you know, we know Truba's probably overpaid. We know Goodrow's probably overpaid. We know the Reeves extension sight unseen uh, two summers ago was probably not the best idea because he's going to now be a healthy scratch for 80% of the rest of the games this season. So certainly some questionable decisions were made, right? But the Rangers are where they are. Where, and this is where that the cap becomes an issue, not really with roster construction, but with flexibility mm-hmm. in terms of, right, you can't bring up another defenseman unless you waive somebody well, or if you LTIR somebody. Who the hell else are they going to bring up right now? Right, that's are they going to try the other Robertson? Piece. Yeah. The, the, Robertson, Ben Harper. Right. I mean, come exactly. on. I can't believe losing Jared Tenorti was an issue, is all of a sudden an issue right now. <laughs> of all Let's the talk about things in the next. world. <laughs> yeah, I know. So you mentioned the upcoming schedule. I think that's it. It might be good just to sort of give everybody that the list of games coming up, and maybe we could just talk about what lies ahead for the Rangers here. So Thursday. So if you're listening to this on on Thursday morning, tonight's game is in Detroit. So then they they go to Nashville Saturday, and then back to back they come home play Arizona Sunday. So that's three games, and then they go on a four game West Coast trip. So Seattle, San Jose, and then the LA Kings and Anaheim Ducks on back to back nights. There's a three-day uh, three off-day period in there between the Arizona and Seattle games. And then there's a two, uh, two off-days between the San Jose game and the uh, LA and Anaheim back-to-back. So, Dave, that's seven games. Those are winnable games. And then they have Edmonton at home uh, on, I guess that's Thanksgiving weekend. It is on, on, on November 26th, Saturday. So, so that's eight games. I mean, look, I think Edmonton's a good team, and you never want to just walk into any game where Connor McDavid's on the other side and say, oh, that game, that should be a win. Um, and I, I know Edmonton has cooled off, but they did get off to a really good start. They made the conference finals last year. But those seven games, I agree with you, are largely against teams who will be completely out of the picture by February or March. They will not be factors in the playoff race. You know, again, maybe Nashville, but Arizona is the worst team in the league. Seattle, not too good. Still trying to figure it out. They're kind of a middling team. San Jose is David Quinn. N- none more. Nothing more needs to be said there. And then the Kings, I honestly haven't really even looked at their record. I don't even know how they're doing. Um, and Anaheim is, is, is a team that gives up goals and droves, even though we know that their save percentage isn't actually 660 or whatever you, you said it was earlier. Yeah. But um, seven games here, and I agree with you, Dave. I think you've got to get at least... 10 points out of those seven games. You yes. got to go five and two at the very, uh, so yeah, it's seven games, not eight. Um, the eighth game was the Detroit game prior to the Islander game. So, oh, um, right, right, right. yeah, that was the one I was thinking of. Cause I was going into this month going, they have a very light schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I am willing to say, okay, you get, you know, a shootout loss, Nashville, and then, you know, David Quinn or the Kings are probably better than their record right now. You lose a point to one of those. But that's it. You got to win the rest. And mm-hmm. it's not even about 
the standings and the division, which to me right now isn't a predictive measure of how good a team is. It is just an evaluation of how they've started the season. But it's a confidence thing. And we're going back to the Trocek quote. It's a purely confidence thing. You have to beat these bad teams. And then if you've won, let's say they win seven in a row. You're going into Edmonton. You're going home to face Edmonton after winning seven in a row. I mean, oh, they'll be flying at that point. Yeah, or maybe they just, you know, they're done with traveling. It's only a two-day break. You know, they're landing on Thanksgiving morning, basically, and then they have the Edmonton game, and then maybe you just drop that, and then you ha- you run into the Devils, full steam. Yeah. So if they, and I'm looking at the record now, Dave. So if they were to go five and let's just use regular wins and losses, I don't want to factor in overtime. Just let's keep it simple. If they were to go five and two, right? So that's and that would that would be a, a totally fine run, especially given the way they've been trending the last you know ten days or so. They're currently six five and three. Five and two, they would be eleven seven and three. So they'd have twenty five points. They would be a game over actual five hundred. They would be. Four games over uh, NHL 500, I believe. Yeah, yeah, they'd be 11, 7, and 3. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that that to me, if, if, you were to tell, if you were to tell me that that would be their record through the first uh, quarter of the season, right? Because that, that, that'll be 21 games played. And yeah, they're 11, 7, and 3. I'd be like, okay, yeah. maybe I expected a little bit better. But that would certainly, and then, and then conveniently, Dave, that ends right at the Thanksgiving cutoff point where we start looking at playoff probability, right? And that's your first look at the standings where you say, okay, take a snapshot in your head. Who are the teams that are in? Who are the teams that are out? What kind of movement is possible? It sounds crazy to say because there's still three quarters of a season to play, but we all know the probabilities there that, that, and that Thanksgiving rule does statistically tend to hold water where if you want to be in the playoffs, you've got to be in the playoff spot when Thanksgiving rolls around. So so this seven-game stretch for the Rangers coming up is huge for that reason alone. And I think if they can win five of those games or get 10 points by hook or by crook, you know, go four, four, one, and two or whatever it might be, I'll take that too because that gets you the 10 points you need and that probably puts you in a playoff spot. And talking about the playoffs right now, you know, we use Thanksgiving as an indicator and I think it's more of an indicator of a team like, say, Columbus, they're out of the playoffs, let's be real. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're going into the Thanksgiving break. If the Rangers do go 5-2, and two, they're at that 11-7-3. How many teams are they leapfrogging? Pro- definitely Philly, maybe the Islanders. And mm-hmm. we hit Thanksgiving, it's the Rangers, the Canes, the Devils, the Islanders one through four in any order. And then you have most likely Washington as fifth. Those are your top five teams in the division. That's what we've been calling out most of the year. The only thing that's a little surprising to me is Pittsburgh is so bad. Yeah, I'm surprised that too. That's very surprising to me because in theory they shouldn't be. And really the Islanders having a good start and Pittsburgh having a bad start. If that happens, that's the swap. It's the Islanders and the Penguins. And then it's the Devils and the Caps. That's it. The Islanders and the Devils are not kicking the Rangers out of the playoffs at all. 
they'll be taking the teams that are on their way down, Pittsburgh and Washington, out. They're not taking the Rangers out. That's not how that's going to work this year. The Rangers are probably the second most skilled team in the division, possibly the most skilled team in the division if it's, you can make an argument either way for Carolina. Yeah. But that's why I'm at a 2.5. I Right. I look at this. They're going to make the playoffs. Philly is Carter Hart. He's going to fall off a cliff at some point. And then who else, who is going to pass the Rangers that's below them right now? Washington? They're 107 years old. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, I think the weird thing about the Penguins, despite that record, which is 4-6-2 and two, through 12 games, they are another team that has a great expected goals share. You know, they're at... Uh, this is from Evolving Hockey. Uh, somebody tweeted it earlier today, just the top seven teams, because the Rangers are seventh in, in expected goals for. I'm sure this is five on five, although I don't have the context in front of me. But, you know, the the the, the teams ahead of the Rangers are the Bruins, good team, the Penguins, who are 56.03 expected goals, Golden Knights, Hurricanes, Panthers, Devils. The Devils lead the league right now, by the way. They have a 63.33 expected goals for percentage. If that were to hold, by the way, that would be on par with the dynasty Detroit Red Wings. I I think the Devils are good. I don't think they are anywhere near that good. I think they're a young team who's at an incredible start. But, you know, if they are if they are still getting 63% of the expected goals a game in 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 February, I will be shocked. And at that point, I'll be calling them a Stanley Cup contender very reluctantly, but the facts are the facts at that point. Yeah. Um, so, but just to that point about who may fall out, look, I think the Devils hang around unless they have a ton of injuries. I think the Caps are probably more likely to actually completely implode and fall out of it than the Penguins are. I think the Penguins yeah. will probably hang around given their better underlying numbers, but maybe that's not right. Maybe I'm leaning too heavily on that stuff. I don't know. I would put the Penguins over the Caps. I think at this point, if the Caps are, what, Penguins have them two games in hand. They're actually playing right now, so I'm not sure what the score of that game is. But let's say Pittsburgh flips with the Caps to by the time we get to Thanksgiving, the Caps are not making the playoffs. Agreed. Th- those three teams, the Caps, I don't think the Caps make it. I don't the Flyers are not making it and obviously Columbus is more or less mathematically out at this point unless they win every game going. There you far. go by the way. You, you mentioned it. The Penguins are are currently playing the Caps as we record this on Wednesday night and the, they're beating the Capitals 3 to nothing late in yep. the third period. So, so that's a yeah, that's a huge game. What Caps are the Penguins are 2 points, points back. Yeah, yeah they, well or, with this they'd be 2 points. The Penguins would be 2 points back. Washington's old. They have I think they're dealing with some injuries. I haven't been as locked into hockey to start the season, probably because I'm overconfident in the Rangers. But <laughs> you know, yeah, why we don't need to? You don't need to keep track of the teams around you. No, yeah. listen, it's it's also so early to be looking at you know two points here and two points there on you know uh, on November the 9th or whatever the hell today's date is or November the 10th when you're listening to this. But point is, is that. Just to wrap up what we were saying before, the next seven games are, are, are really critical for the Rangers. And, and while you don't want to overreact to one game, I think, Dave, if we get to the Thanksgiving and the Rangers finish off this seven-game stretch, again, six of those seven are on the road, so that's certainly not easy. But also sometimes, you know, you hear pro athletes say this a lot or former pros say this a lot. Sometimes those road trips are great turning point moments in a season because everybody's together. You kind of forge the bonds on the road. You know, you're spending a lot of time. You're in, in hotels. You're on the plane all the time. So... Uh, maybe the road trip will be good for this team. 
to just get away from, you know, uh, New York and the pressures of playing at home, which sometimes happen with, with a team with expectations at Madison Square Garden. Um, if we get to the end of this seven-game stretch and they go two and five, I think people will be pretty panicked, and maybe rightfully so at that point, because that would be a major red flag, and then you're going to be talking about this from a standpoint of, oh, shit, the Rangers now have to play at like 115-point pace the rest of the year in order to make the playoffs. That, that'll just be the math. So they've got to continue to do what they're doing, which is control the play, get more shots and chances than their opponent, and hope the puck starts going in and, and beat these bad teams that are in front of them on the schedule. Yep, and I'm with you there. If the Rangers come back from this seven-game stretch and they play 500 hockey, I am move, I'm moving from oh, wow. I am moving from a 2.5 to like a six or a seven mm-hmm. at that point. This yep. is this is the test. You have to beat the bad teams and go 500 against the good teams. And honestly, Detroit seven three and three to start the year. Maybe we shouldn't be calling them a bad team. Right. No, that's true. And they, and they look like they may be relevant in the playoff race for sure. They might be, they're probably a bubble team because they're, you know, they're a couple of steps now down the road into their own rebuild. They're probably a season or two behind where the Rangers are, right? Because they yeah. kind of both started rebuilding around similar times. So, I mean, I'm looking at the, and again, more on the 2.5 thing. I'm looking at the October and November schedule. You have a bad shootout loss to San Jose, David Quinn, Super Bowl, fine. Columbus was a bad game. The 5-1 loss was a bad, bad game. They lost at Arizona in that span, I think. Did they go lose no, to they Arizona? Beat Ar- they no, they beat, beat Arizona. Ar- no, they beat Arizona. Yeah, they okay, beat sorry. They beat Arizona. Fine. Disregard. They lost to Boston. We mm-hmm. talked about that. Then they had the bad shootout loss, to or to, overtime loss, sorry, to Detroit, and then the really bad loss to the Islanders. So... You have a few bad losses, but they're not against bad teams. No, I agree. Uh, and the, also the Islander games always stick with you because it's the Islanders. And especially yeah. Tuesday night's game, blowing a two-goal lead. Second game in a row, you blow a two-goal lead. Those stick with you. And those yes. those definitely feel like more than your standard loss. Yep. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is they lost... They played an amazing game against Colorado, by the way, right after Mm -hmm. they looked like crap. Sorry, right after the bad loss to Columbus. Columbus, yep. So Columbus is a very bad loss. San Jose, they gave up one point to David Quinn in his revenge game. Give him the revenge game. You want to call the 3-1 loss to the Islanders a bad loss to a good team? Okay, if you want to call Detroit a bad team, that's a bad loss to a bad team. So that's two, two and a half if you count San Jose. I mean, mm-hmm. Detroit's going to be relevant for the next couple of months. The Islanders are clearly going to be relevant. So are they really bad losses? Uh, even Detroit did, I was about to say Vigneault, did Gallant just get out coached and galaxy brain it after one bad period? Right. Right. Who knows? No, it's a good point. I mean, and, and you know, they it's again, it's not like they they're It's not like you've been playing bad hockey and they've been getting badly outshot every night. You know, I mean, look, every time I look up, it's like, oh, my God, they have 35 shots. They have 41 shots. They have 43 shots. It's in, it's incredible the amount of, you know, not just volume, but the high quality scoring chances they get. I mean, look, 
again, we may not be having this conversation at all if Jimmy Vesey scores on that breakaway on Tuesday night against the Islanders, and he came very close. But also, you know, the Rangers have a ton of skilled guys, and it, it's a little unfortunate that that puck ended up on his stick and not the stick of Capo Caco or Chris Kreider even or Artemi Panarin, right? So, you know, Vesey's mm-hmm. a good player who fills a role, but not an offensive dynamo by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, And it's uh, not that hard. I just want one more thing. When Julian Gauthier yeah, yeah. gets healthy— it's not that hard to plug Gautier into the top six, top nine, sorry, move VZ down to the fourth line, and Sammy Blay is not in the lineup anymore. Yeah. Blay sure. and Reeves, funny enough, the two, what what is that, $3.25 million worth of bench players at that point? It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, yeah, tied yeah. up in those two. Reeves we knew about. Blay was always one of those we don't know. And Gautier has outplayed him and earned a spot. Blay is right now the, if Reeves is staying, the 14th forward. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think they're still trying to figure out the bottom of, of the lineup. Well, they're trying to figure out the whole lineup, but you know, we'll see how these, this next wave of line changes uh, plays out in the, uh, in the Detroit game on Thursday night. Jimmy Vizzi's on the top line. We'll see how long that lasts. Um, I believe the kid line is reunited. So that's something to be excited about. You know, we'll see how much ice time they get if they are the third line or maybe Glantz treating them as a second line now, you know, with, with an increased, uh, you know, amount of trust since all three of those players have been very, very good this year. Um, should be interesting. And, and, you know, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on it, especially as, you know, the Rangers gear up for what is a pretty crucial seven game stretch ahead. And first up is Detroit. So, all right, I wanted to get to we only had two questions uh, come through. This there's week. a lot of Election Day hangover with the questions. Yes. Well, and, and we uh, we were off last week as well. So maybe, yep. uh, again, on us losing a little bit of momentum. But uh, no, always appreciate those who do submit. First one comes from Anthony Cacchioli, Cacchioli25. Hope we're saying that right, Anthony. Uh, this is totally uh, not, not hockey. Well, not, uh, not related to what happens on the ice, at least, uh, Dave. But now that you've seen the reverse retro jerseys worn for two games now, what do you think of them? Do you want my on ice uh, okay, so two things. One, I like the jerseys. I okay. happen to think they're much nicer than the previous version. Uh, yep. But they've lost two games with them, so burn them. Yeah, I'm kind they're of They're 0-2. Them. Light them on fire. Never wear them again. Also, I know Becky's not here, but I can promise you if she was, she would be screaming into her microphone how much she hates them. She's always hated the Lady Liberty thing um, in any form. Didn't like the ones from two years ago. Doesn't like these. I'll say this. Uh, they pop in terms of the colors, whereas the, the problem with the last version was that, you know, the numbers had that gray outline and it was hard yeah. to read the numbers. And the red, you kind of lost the red. The red didn't pop out of the navy blue. It really wasn't, it just was not a very good design. It didn't, it didn't come off well when it was worn by the players. This one definitely reads a lot better. But they went with like a weird shade of blue. That they, they keep saying it's like the the regular like ranger blue. It's definitely not. Um, it's almost uh, like a yeah. more. It's like a more purplish shade. So it's it's just kind of a bizarre thing. I don't know. It's not my favorite in the world. Um, so look, I'm colorblind. I, mean, I can't talk to that. I happen oh, right. to like it, but I am probably seeing something that different from you guys. Yes, you're having a different experience for sure. It's a great um, experience. I got it's all. I like this experience a lot more than that Jets Bills game on Thursday night during the colorblind game. I remember that. I, yeah. I my roommate at the time was was colorblind. Yeah, I was. I was like, okay, 
who's got the ball? Yep. <laughs> no, I, I, and and you know, I, there's a great video out there that that uh, actually shows folks who are not colorblind what that game looked like to a colorblind person. So you, you know, you, you could probably dig that up. It just search jet bill jets bills you know colorblind game and and, and it'll pop up you're basically um, look I, I could explain it. you're looking at 22 white face masks moving at any given point and nothing else right right because everything else just kind of blends into one <laughs> everything else is the same shape. fucking color <laughs> so um so yeah no listen i, I think j- I, we started the show with uh you know scale of one to ten kind of number grade i'll give it a five i'm, I'm pretty lukewarm on it um it's not horrible, and I think it's a it's a solid hockey jersey. You know, I, I've always liked the design as a design, but it's not my favorite. And and especially with the two losses now, I'm I'm, I'm totally in the Burnham camp. But I don't think Adidas would be too happy with that. I think they got to wear them at least eight games. So you know what I'd love to see them do that they never will. I would love to see the I guess that's a navy from the Heritage jersey, and yes. you take the 2012 Winter Classic logo and put that mm-hmm. on. See, I and, think that's a great and again, idea. this is the coloring issue because I know that it, like the Winter Classic was more of a cream color, and the navy goes more with a white. You could change the damn shading; I don't care. It's all going to look the same to me. But you get that dark background with the altered crest. Less is more. You don't have to try to make the Lady Liberty thing happen, especially now that you've done it twice. Change it up for the next one whenever they do the next reverse retros. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I think something that leans more into the heritage side of things yeah. for a, a third jersey. I think um, Bob Kawa, Kawa nice. or uh, I'm drawing, I'm going to, Bob, if I'm butchering your name, sorry. I think that's Bob, yeah. Yeah, so I think he put something together for the original reverse retro jerseys, and it looks something like that. Right. I, I can't scroll through his entire Twitter feed to find it. Uh, and while we're on the subject of jerseys, the only thing I'll say that that I've I, I will whenever this subject comes up, I wish they would wear white at home once in yes. a while, yes. just to go back to that classic. You know what what we grew up with watching in the '90s, and what what really was the case from the mid '60s on. You know, back in the original six eras era, teams wore color at home, and I think they even would go like color versus color, like they'd have a you know if the Rangers were in blue and the Canadians were in red. Um, they would let both teams wear their colored jerseys because you didn't have to worry about clashing helmets because no one, no one wore helmets. Uh, but, you know, once they went to, you know, white and color jerseys as a standard, the, the team at home always wore white. And that was the standard until the late 90s, early 2000s, I want to say, when they went back to the kind of the original uh, original six way of doing things with the team wearing the, the dark color, the home team wearing the dark color. Um, there have been odd... Uh, moments in recent years that the Rangers have worn white at home. I know that if you go back and watch the clip of from 24-7 when Artem and Isimov did the celebration against the Lightning with the rifle and How that whole melee happened. How did you know that happened. year right off the top of your head? Well, well that would, well, well, because, no, because I've watched that clip recently. I mean, it's on YouTube. You can find it. Yeah, it, I remember t- it vividly, but how did you know the year? Oh, I don't know. It's 2012 I, because that was the year they went to the Stanley Cup Finals or the Jesus. Conference Finals out of nowhere. Yeah, that was right. the 2012 season. Yeah, that, that's an amazing um, re- memory retention. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I years especially I are kind of burned into my brain. But if you watch that highlight, the Rangers are wearing white that game. I'm pretty sure it's either that or the game before when they played Toronto. But in one of those games, they're wearing their white jerseys at home. 
Um, so anyway, that that's just my little uh, two cents that if, if they could work it out, and I know there's like logistics issues and it, it makes a lot more work for the equipment managers if, if, they, if they have to pack two sets of things. I totally understand all that. But, you know, for a local game, for the Devils who have to travel, you know, all of seven miles from Newark, maybe wear white at home on a Sunday or something like that. You know, just make it like a Sunday thing. I don't know. I, I think it'd be really cool. And uh, I, I love the look of the white jersey, at uh, uh, you know, on the garden ice. Yeah, uh, it's crisp. It's clean. I love it. I wish they do it more often. Yeah. Oh, it's a gorgeous jersey. So um, definitely. Uh, and I, I mean, the both both uh, standard Ranger uniforms are just they're classics. You know, there's it's the reason they haven't changed them in in a hundred years. Yeah. Um, okay. There are very few teams that actually get their initial jerseys right. It's really just and what the Yankees, the Rangers. The Cubs, I like that jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think even in the NHL, I mean, the Red Wings have basically yeah, the Red had Wings, that the Red wheel Wings. with the wing. I mean, that's really good. It's a really pretty jersey. I, I like that. I, re- I Red Wings is a good call there. Yeah, but that's I can't think of any uh, no because all the other teams have changed it. The original Vancouver Canucks logo, the black logo was good, but they got rid of that. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you've had a million yeah. different Penguins jerseys, and the Flyers yeah. are always messing with the stripes and stuff. Yeah, no, look, it's it's also there's a reason that a lot of jerseys are, you know, you can tell that uh, the Ranger jersey is revered because everybody tries to copy it with the diagonal lettering. You know, Pittsburgh has a, jer- a jersey with diagonal lettering. The Canes, obviously, the Hurricanes wear their, their diagonal lettering all the time against the Rangers because they think they're trolling them. I don't know. It's typical Carolina Hurricanes bullshit. Remember that like um, brief period where Carolina was like the the funnest, the funnest, the most fun team there was, and then all of a sudden they kind of took their whole bunch of jerks thing too far, and they became jerks. Yes, it was. It was one of the great heel turns. It was one of my favorite moments ever when, yep. when everybody was like, "Wait, this team isn't this team isn't cool or fun anymore." No, so, they're just dicks. Yeah. Um, all right, we've got one more question from Kevin Spozo, S-P-O-Z-O-211. Uh, back more to the uh, the level of concern around the Rangers. Bigger concern for the rest of the season, Kreider or Truba's awful start? What do you think? Ooh. First of all, I'm going to – I'll start. Yeah, I'm uh, going to do the devil's Truba advocate thing, for you. Well, so hold on. Uh, I, I, first of all, want to disagree with the, the premise of the question. Although, thank you, Kevin, for submitting it. And, you know, uh, we really appreciate the engagement. And thanks for listening. I disagree that Kreider has had an awful start. Uh, now, I know that might seem like a little bit of a hot take, or maybe I'm coming across as being too easy on him. But the guy is leading the league currently in high-danger scoring chances. I understand he's not scored on, on as many as you'd expect. He should have something like six or seven more goals than he has currently. He has been in the right spots. He's been doing exactly what he was doing last year. The puck's just not going in. Now, has that at times affected the rest of his game? Yes. And is that something that I wish he could do better with as a now experienced player in the league? You know, you'd like for your 11-year veteran, you know, guy who wears an alternate captain's letter on his jersey to be a little bit more mentally tough when the puck's not going in, but... Yeah, he's drifted a little bit. He's had some of those disappearing act moments, but also he needs to play. He needs to be himself. And I dispute the claim that he's had an awful start. I think he's had a an inconsistent start. 
So How, can I rephrase the question for you then? Mm-hmm. What is a bigger concern? Trooper's bad play or Chris Kreider shooting 10% this year as opposed to his 20% the last two years? It's Truba, and I'll tell you why. Because, well, no, it's Truba. But but the idea is that other guys will step up and score goals. You know, uh, Artemi Panarin will score more goals this year. The kids will hopefully start putting the puck in the net more consistently. To his credit, by the way, Philip Hedle already has three goals, and he's missed a bunch of games. So he could be well on his way to a 20-ish goal season if he keeps up that kind of pace. Um, I think they will get goals because, as we've detailed earlier in the show, this is more of a team-wide shooting luck issue than it is a offense generation issue. So Truba now uh, being compromised and not playing well defensively is the bigger concern because unless they change the pairs, it's going to drag down Keandre Miller and Truba is going to play 25 minutes a night. and He's going to be out there against the other team's best players. And especially when you get into crunch time, March, April, May playoffs, et cetera, that will become a huge problem. I mean, we already saw Truba when he wasn't at his best last year in the playoffs he legitimately cost them games by making one or two terrible plays at the wrong time. So if he's an even worse version of that and he's susceptible to those kind of bonehead plays, which he kind of always is, I'm much more concerned with that. He needs to be rock solid and limit those those costly mistakes. I 100% agree, and I was kind of hoping you'd pick Kreider, but now I'm going to play mm-hmm. devil's advocate with Kreider on this one. Um. 10% less shooting mostly impacts the power play effectiveness, not even strength. And if that power play is not scoring, it's not a guarantee that the goals go to Zibanejad or or Panarin or Trocek because of where Kreider plays. And if he's not scoring and those deflections and those rebounds aren't going in on the power play then he better be the... He is already, but he's got to do something different with the way he screens goalies because his value is in front of the net. And those goals from the front of the net don't just magically appear and at the middle of the ice, uh, either face-off dot or the high slot. You know, that's just not how that works. You could argue that if Zibanejad wasn't scoring, then Panarin and Trocek and possibly Fox would pick up the pace. But... These shots that Kreider would deflect, they weren't going in before he deflected it. So they're saves. That impacts the. Let's say he shoots ten percent less on the power play. So now we're looking at, um, what instead of fifty-two goals, we're looking at twenty-seven goals for the season, and half that, half that's on the power play. So where are those twenty goals coming from? Where, where, who else is going to be in front of the net to score them or pick up a maybe Kreider gets a deflection rebound? Who's going to crash the net with Kreider there on the power play? No, you're right. You're right. There, there's, and they're not changing that power play unit. So if he is cold the whole year, they will probably be stubborn to the point where he's still going to go that, go out there and park his ass in front of the net and do his thing, even if he's got six power play goals the entire year as opposed to the 26 he had last year. And that, that, is, that plays into the power play shooting percentage. Oh, definitely. No, and if their power play isn't humming, then they damn well better get better scoring five on five because, you know, again, 
the the all of the underlying numbers are, are very friendly to the Rangers and, and they're doing that on merit. You know, they are a much better team at five on five this year, but they're still not scoring five on five. And a lot of that might be luck, a lot of that might be whatever, goaltending, etc. But they have not been able to score at five on five consistently now over the last two but you know, season plus. Um, and unless that turns around in a very dramatic way soon, the power play is still gonna need to be a huge factor here because if they have a league average or worse power play then you're probably looking at a team that has very mediocre uh, goal totals, and then you need great goaltending, and it comes back to Igor. Yep. So, so it's interesting. No, look, I think, you know, as we've talked about, Dave, there's there's no reason to panic, but there's certainly things to be concerned about. And I think, you know, fans have the right to be frustrated. This is a team with expectations, and going out and laying an egg in the second period against Detroit when you could have stepped on their throats and won that game four or five to one, and then blowing a lead to the hated Islanders, even though they played a largely pretty good game, it's not going to sit well with a lot of people. So no, I understand the frustration, and, and I think yeah. you know maybe we're still a couple of weeks away from actually needing to be really concerned. And there's a difference between saying we're frustrated, which we all are, and the Rangers are bad. One is a feeling, and one is objectively false. Because the Rangers aren't bad, they're not even last in the division. So take a breath, it's okay. We'll see what it looks like in two weeks. And, yeah, if the Rangers go 0-7 over the next seven games, yeah, there's a problem. Yeah. And then they will be towards the bottom of the division, and then we'll be having an entirely different conversation. But let's hope that's not the case. Um, any final thoughts, Dave, before we sign off? Final? Th- I don't have any final thoughts. I am still in that comfort zone of a 2.5. Yeah, totally. All right, well, let's see how it plays out. Um Thanks, everyone, for listening, and and we look forward to, uh, to talking to you again next week.